But I've got to share a message tonight called Lifeguards. In fact, I have in my hand a whistle. And this whistle is going to get on your nerves tonight. But let me tell you how I got this whistle. Years ago, my parents went to England. And they went for a couple of weeks. And I guess they went to Southampton where the Titanic was made. And when they were flying in, they called us and they said, Hey, meet us at a restaurant. Nate was just a little boy, a little fella. For those of you who don't know, Nate is now a youth pastor at Trinity Church in Dallas. He and Adrian and just spent Monday night with him. I flew in and went to an NBA game with him. We just had fun. We just get stupid together. We're very close. But Nate was just a little boy, and my dad called, and he said, Hey, listen, we're going to be coming through. He called us from Atlanta. He said, We're going to be coming through Birmingham. Eat lunch or eat supper with us because we just got back from England. He said, And we got you some presents because normally I would say, You know, Dad, I just don't have time. But he said, he said the magic word, presents. Turn this down just a little bit. He said, I've got you some presents. So I was, I was, oh, I was fired up. I'm like, because my parents get like the coolest presents because my dad loves wars and he loves things getting blown up and stuff. And so we went to a restaurant and I walked in. We met him at the restaurant in Birmingham and there at the table, my mom and dad were there, but there was a, there was a bag. And you could tell this bag had presents in it. I was fired up. It's my love language. We go and we sit down and we start eating. And I'm trying to be grown up and trying to be mature. And I'm like, <laughs> don't mention the presents. And finally we're eating and Nate sitting over there, about eight years old. He wants to ask about the presents. So I leaned over and said, go, go ahead, you can ask. Nate goes, so, did you get us something from England? And my dad goes, oh, yeah, yeah, like he forgot. And he reaches into this bag, and he pulls out this battleship for Nate. I was jealous because Nate and I blew things up together. Now Abby and I build stuff and blow them up, don't we, Abby? We, we build little forts and explode them. Spend hours building them and then we destroy them in about 10 minutes. It's a very violent family. We do war. It's that devil. And so all of a sudden he pulls this thing out for Nate and literally it took the whole bag. I'm like, really? Then he pulls some out for Karen, some girl thing, a lady thing. I don't know, a doily. I don't know. And I'm like, hey. And my dad goes, oh, oh, Pat, I got you something. And all of a sudden, he pulls out this little box. Obviously, it wasn't a battleship. There wasn't no dynamite. There was no soldiers. There was no way to shed blood. It's awkward. So he hands me this box, and I open it up, and it's a whistle. 
I'm like, <laughs> thanks. I always wanted a whistle. Been a youth pastor for 10 years. I've got whistles. He goes, no, look at it. He said, the Lord told me that you would use this whistle. And I looked on the front of it and engraved is the word Titanic. He said, Pat, that's a very special whistle. And I pulled out the certificate of authenticity that it had been made with the original tooling of the Titanic. And he said, the Lord said to me, standing in a shop in Southampton, England, that you would use this to win souls. How are you going? I mean, you can't even be mad when he's going spiritual on you. You got to go, oh, I, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But then I didn't know what this whistle would do. And this whistle that I have in my hand tonight, I've literally led probably about 10,000 to the Lord with this whistle. And the Lord told me to get it back out for tonight. This whistle's been all over the world with me. It's been in El Salvador, it's been in Singapore, it's been in Australia, it's been in New Zealand. I've kept it in my bag, my briefcase, for years. And I must share a simple message tonight on this premiere weekend. And by the way, let me just say something very quickly. Pastor Quentin will be coming up at the end showing videos about School of Urban Mission, all the stuff, all of our leadership, you'll be meeting them, all that kind of stuff. But we kind of 86 all the commercials because we felt like we're supposed to go into a move of God. Is that all right? So we have videos and greeting and food and all that stuff at the end, but I must share this tonight. Because I'm just wondering, is there anybody in this room that needs to be rescued? The Bible says in Psalms chapter 30, verse 2, God, my God, I yelled for help. And you put me together. God, you pulled me out of the grave. You gave me another chance at life when I was down and out. I'm preaching a simple word tonight simply called lifeguards. And I don't know about you, but I've been a drowning victim before. I know what it's like at 12 years old to walk into a house and find my mom sitting on her bed with a pistol to her head. Staring off. Mind blown, snapped, pressures of ministry. My brother and I tackled her and took the gun out of her hand. And she would be sent away to a mental hospital. I'll never forget the Sunday that we got in the car to go visit her. My dad pastored this little tiny church. If you don't know it, my father was a drug dealer, got saved when I was five. And by the time I was eight years old, he was an Assembly of God preacher in Alabama. I know what it's like to walk through Lee Hospital in Montgomery, Alabama and seeing people clawing doors that were out of their mind. I remember getting in the car and my dad whispering before church, don't tell anyone where your mother's at. I'll lose the church if they find out she's been committed to a mental hospital. That Sunday, getting in the car, driving from a place called Louvern, Alabama to Montgomery, Alabama, we didn't speak for an hour and a half. We get to the hospital. We went walking down the corridor, the hallway, and people were screaming. And it was really bad. It was really almost psychotic, like from a movie. Twelve years old. 
We finally get to a room. They came and unlocked and they opened and she's sitting on the side of the bed. And I looked at her and I said, hey, mom. And she said, who are you, little boy? I know what it's like to drown. I know what it's like three weeks ago in Singapore to feel such an oppression on my life. And Karen knows this because I was FaceTiming her the whole time. But finally, I sat on the edge of a bed in a hotel room on the ninth floor in Singapore after seeing thousands saved that day. And I said, you've got to take this thing off of me. And I watched. And I felt as suddenly this demonic spirit lifted off of me and I heard it go whoosh. Just like that, I heard it out the door. And I called Karen and said it just left you ever been drowning? I'm talking to the ones in here. Now you may be so spiritual that you can't believe that Mr. National Speaker and author would share some of those things with you. But I know what it's like to drown. In fact, the best way to know you're drowning is if you're the only one that can hear your screams. So I'm preaching about lifeguards tonight. Reminded of when the disciples were in the boat. I mean, these guys just could not get it. Jesus would do a miracle, but they still it would not click with them. I've met students like that. It just couldn't click. Remember what happened? He says to them, hey, get in the boat. We're going to the other side. He never told them in the process of going to the other side to set a man completely free that would be full of demons that would go back to his city to Decapolis which means the head of the family and he would restore an entire city the first evangelist would be raised up uh, he didn't tell them though that on the way to the other side there would be this amazing storm so anybody that ever tells you hey God's going to use you to touch the world they usually don't tell you about the filling in the Oreo cookie you know what I'm talking about they don't tell you about the middle. They love to say, point A is this, and point D is this. You're going to get there eventually, but they don't tell you about the B.C. They don't tell you about the process. Jesus is in the bottom of the boat. The waves start talking. I mean, before this, they were just jazzed. We're like, we're leading this revolution. They're just like singing to each other, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. We're just hanging with the king. And then the first raindrop hit. And it got more intense. And it got more intense. And the boat started getting tossed. For a while there, they had been talking about how God had moved in the last service and all this kind of stuff. But now they're talking about, could there be a Jonah in the boat? I mean, they knew the story. And, and, and all of a sudden, they get so freaked out, they go to the bottom of the boat and they wake Jesus up. Because sometimes you got to wake him up. He's there, but you got to get him up. Sometimes he's waiting on you to wake him up. And all of a sudden, look what the Bible says in Mark right here. Because this is a powerful scripture. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up and said, teacher... Don't you care if we drown? Look at Job. Job chapter 10 verse. I'm preaching lifeguards tonight just for a few minutes. I, I brought my whistle. My whistle. <whistles> Some of you are drowning. You came this weekend. We're going to rescue you. 
Look, look, what, look what Job said. If I'm guilty, woe to me. If I am innocent, I can't lift my head, for I am full of shame and drowned in my affliction. You ever felt so dirty you were drowning? Affliction is the stuff that's come against you. You literally like, I, I can't, I can't breathe. Or, 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 or look. There's times I wanted God so badly, but I did not trust him and my flesh. Man, my flesh would scream, he's going to let you drown. Do you know, we will change a generation. I, I'm reminded last weekend I was in Omaha, Nebraska and doing this youth conference. And I'm in the middle of preaching. I said, God just told me somebody's scars are going to disappear. Karen had prophesied to me over the phone. People are going to be healed tonight. We have this outpouring of God. I'm sitting with my friend. His name's Phil Stacy. He's a worship leader. He used to be on American Idol. And I, I tell him before service, like, God just told me, Phil, God, he told me there's going to be miracles tonight. And he's, he's a spirit-filled maniac. And worship breaks out. Service. God moves mightily. But I didn't hear about no miracles. I even walked into my hotel room going, well, I guess we missed that one, Karen and I together. One minute to 12. Text came in. Just got this. Young man in service. All his scars disappeared. He's a cutter. He texted me. He tweeted me yesterday. The young man did. He goes, you don't understand. They're all gone. Even the ones no one knew about on the inside of his leg. But now watch this. Because, see, God always rescues me. Even when I'm dumb. And, and, and but, but look, remember Simon Peter? I love Simon. When I get to heaven, I want to see my sister. I want to see my grandfather. I want to see my grandmother. I want to I wanna fall at the feet of Jesus. I want to dance with David because he never wore any drawers. <laughs> Man, he just, just running naked. And, but my Old Testament, my New Testament guy I want to meet, I want to hang out with Simon Peter because he was stupid. <laughs> There's no reason God should have raised him up. He was stupid. He was always messing up. In fact, he became the ultimate failure, and 53 days later, he became the ultimate preacher. That's not even enough time to really go through rehab. So watch. Remember this right here, though? It's the middle of the night. They're out fishing. All of a sudden, they think they see a ghost in the water. And then they realize it's not the ghost. It's not a ghost. It's the Holy Ghost. It's Jesus. He comes walking towards them. Peter, poor fella, he jumps up, says, Lord, tell me to come hang out with you. Jesus is walking on water. And then all of a sudden, Jesus said, come on. So Peter just goes. And he's suddenly standing on the water. And in Matthew chapter 14, verse 29, he said, Come ahead. Jumping out of the boat, Peter walked on the water to Jesus. But when he looked down and realized it was Shark Week on A&E, something happened. Just because God tells you to walk in a place, he didn't say the water's going to be easy. And all of a sudden, the water's churning beneath his feet. And I love this in the Message Bible. And he lost his nerve. 
I've lost my nerve many times when he told me to step out. I was, I was in a hotel room recently, sound asleep, and Jesus came to me in my sleep. And Pastor Reinhardt Bunke had told me this would happen. And he said to me, he said, Pat, if you'll give me everything you have, I'll give you everything I've got. If they'll give me everything they have, Pat, I'll give them everything I have. And I'm shaking uncontrollably, weeping in my sleep. And I wake up, it's 1 o'clock in the morning, and I just got up and began to dance before the Lord right there in my hotel room because I had never had a dream like that where I saw his feet. And so, but I was scared to death. I, I've been scared. You know, listen, you've really not had an encounter with God unless you've been scared. And all of a sudden it says, he lost his nerve, started to sing. And he said, Master, save me. Can you see Jesus? got you Peter and in the darkness a hand that would later have a nail print in it reaches out and pulls him back up and the Bible says he walked him back to the boat can you see him pulling him up saying come on look into my eyes look into my eyes we're going back don't look down look into my eyes you're almost there no we're not no hold on don't 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 look down because I've given you dominion with for over what's under your feet don't look down. Don't look at what can swallow you. Don't look at what can take your breath. And he says, Peter, lift your foot. You're at the boat. Thank you, Jesus. See, he told me to come and preach lifeguards tonight. I, I, I wrestled with it, but I'm reminded of what it says in Psalms 18, verse 16. But he caught me. He reached all the way from sky to sea. He pulled me out of the ocean of hate, that enemy chaos, the void in which I was drowning. They hit me when I was down, but God stuck by me. He stood me up on a wide open field. I stood there saved, surprised to be loved. Somebody give God a praise offering. You know what the problem is? Quit holding God to your level of courage, courage and obedience. He's bigger than that. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, God rescued us from the dead in alleys, the dark dungeons. He's the ultimate lifeguard. Watch this. It means he's sitting in his chair, and he's going, hey, 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 hey. That's too deep. God rescued us from the dead end valleys and dark dungeons and he set us up in the kingdom of the son he loved so much. The son who got us up out of the pit we were in, got rid of the sin we were doomed to keep on repeating. Can I preach this for the next few minutes to you? Because I've come to preach lifeguards. Would you watch this video and get ready because God's going to move tonight. If you're excited about him, give him a praise offering. Come on, watch this video.
How, why would you preach this at premiere weekend? Maybe it's because we're living in a time of spiritual tsunamis and storms. Maybe it's because we're living in a time where sinking ships are going on down all around us. He told me to come and talk to you about being a lifeguard. And you've, you've got to understand because I've seen the storm. Over the last six months, I've had to do TV all over America and different TV shows. Got to do it this coming week in South Carolina. And, and you would not believe how many people have, have sat down with me on a couch. And before the cameras start rolling, they begin to question Bible truths. And challenge me on some of the stuff I've written. The secular stations haven't done it. I was on a secular station a couple days ago in Miami where we had an outpouring of God. And one lady called in from Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon. One lady called in from South Carolina just weeping. But I'm amazed how the enemy is taking over the very areas that used to be safe. Are you with me? The Bible says in Psalms 34 verse 17, is anyone crying for help? God's listening. He's ready to rescue you. Luke chapter 17, verse 26, a prophecy for today. It says, the time of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Everyone carrying on as usual, having a good time, right up until the day Noah boarded the ship. They suspected nothing until the flood hit and swept everything away. We're living in a period of time where they call it the tinker generation. I'm writing about it right now. A generation that, that will, will be a part. The party scene is what, it's just like the days of Noah. It's, everybody's doing everything. I, I, I'm reminded of a young lady that was in a service with us about six weeks ago. And she got radically rocked by God. She tweeted that night. She said, I've been set free forever. And, and two weeks later on a Sunday night, she was killed in a car accident. And a week later, I was speaking in Ohio, and her youth pastor came to me, and he said, you don't understand. Go back and look at her tweets leading up to that night, and it was how much she loved sex and how much she loved doing all this stuff, but how she had gotten radically saved on a Friday night in Ohio. 
And two weeks later, she was killed in a car accident. She had wrote me. I had responded to her tweet that Friday night. So you wonder why I'm so intense. Because I understand that what I do isn't just life and death, it's eternity. I understand what this school is about. It's not just, if you want to be normal, if you want to go play the little college game, go do it. And we, God bless you. But I'm looking for people that will stand up in a chair and blow a whistle. <whistles> is there anybody alive out there that needs to be rescued? Because I know what it's like to go to bed at night hearing the screams of a generation. It drives me crazy. It's what's made me fly two million miles. It's what makes me walk out the door sometimes and, and walk into her bedroom at 4.30 in the morning and give her a little kiss or, or, and, and hug Karen and say, I'll be home in a couple days. It's what makes me do what I do. It isn't fun. But it's because I can hear the masses, and I'm reminded of what the masses sounded like 101 years ago and three days. 101 years ago and three days tonight. On April 12th through April the 14th, I'm reminded of the Titanic. I love to study the Titanic because if you study the Titanic, you begin to understand where America's at right now because I'm reminded people were sleeping on the Titanic with 2,235 2, passengers on it. Karen and I have gone to, to, to the, the big museum. I, I love to study the Titanic. It's always, and maybe it was because my father gave me a whistle that was made from the Titanic. And so you got to understand the world's most luxurious ship struck an iceberg in the North Atlantic, ripping a 300-foot gasp. Six compartments in her side filled with water. She wasn't supposed to go down. She was the ship that could not be sunk. It was a wonder of engineering. The ship of power, grace, and elegance. In fact, they even had three smokestacks. You say, no, Pat, I saw it. There's four. One was fake. One was just to make it look good. The rich of the rich and the poor of the poor were on this thing. This wonder of engineering. This ship that they had even said, not even God can sink it. In fact, they even held their fist in the face of God and named it Titanic because the Titans were the ones who warred against, war against God in Greek mythology and supposedly defeated God. So you've got to understand, 1,522 people were dragged to a watery grave. 713 survivors sat and watched as loved ones and friends froze to death within 30 seconds. On both sides of the Atlantic, the Titanic was called the Wonder Ship. Uh, newspapers talked about it. Not even God can sink this. The greatest and the wealthiest of the wealthy would be on its maiden voyage. Hundreds had life preservers on. But they fell asleep in the cold Atlantic within 30 seconds. What does that have to do with life? With lifeguards, Pat? Because if you study the Titanic, you'll be pretty much be able to see where... We're headed right now. What do you mean? What destroyed the Titanic? I can tell you because I've studied it. They ignored 12 different warnings that they were going into the wrong waters. In the pocket of the captain was a note. Do not go any farther. Possible icebergs. They were respecters of persons. As the ship was sinking, they locked the lower class. And only the first class got the boats. They were speeding through the icy waters and they ignored the warnings. Welcome to America. We're only, America's a lot like Rome. We're overtaxed, oversexed, and sports is only crazy. My new book talks about some of this stuff, the stuff I'm going to be writing because I honestly believe we're in trouble right now. 
And then lastly, they thought they were bigger than God. Listen to what a 17-year-old teenager that survived the Titanic said. His name was Jack Thayer. He said, we were a mass of hopeless days to humanity, attempting as the Almighty and made us to keep our final breath until the last possible moment. Can I ask you, where's the lifeguards of this generation? In a generation where 25% of your friends are dead because of abortion. In a generation where 58% of you will face divorce with by your freshman year of high school. In a generation where one out of three girls and three out of five guys will be molested. I could tell you thousands of stories. If, the, if we take you up there, maybe they'll let you glimpse at the thousands of testimonies we have to show what. That, that's, that's what I, I've said to Karen. That's what I want by my casket when I die is the tens of thousands of testimonies. And a generation where every 33 seconds a teenager under the age of 13 attempts suicide. In a generation where 200,000 illegal weapons are taken into schools every day. In a generation where 96% of this generation believe it that there's no such thing as absolute truth meaning God's word what does it really matter I create my own truth we're the tinker generation we decide what truth is in a generation where 15% believe they were born gay and and it's a lie of the enemy listen to what I'm saying Proverbs 16 17 says the highway of the upright turns aside from evil he who guards his way preserves his life God says I'm looking for lifeguards I was standing in Singapore a couple weeks ago Mortal combat, mortal war going on within me. I'm standing on the front row and there's thousands of people. And they were getting rocked because in an Asian culture, uh, the fathers don't show a lot of love. So, so they, they can't believe that, that it, it's hard for them to imagine that God loves them so much that he's not mad at them. And they're lined up at the table every time we get out of a service. And so I'm standing on the front row and I'm exhausted and jet lag is going on and and, and I'm standing there, and, and all of a sudden, I, I just said, Lord, I said, you always talk to me in Singapore. You always drop something on my spirit. I need you to talk to me. I have not heard from you. It's a closed heaven right now. And all he said to me was one word, consecrate. I said, Lord, what is that? That's all he said. I, as soon as I got home, I called Pastor Jeremy. I said, this is the one word God gave me, consecrate. So I started looking it up. It means to declare or, or set apart as sacred. In Christianity, it means to sanctify, sanctify the bread and the wine. For uh, The Catholics believe that, in fact, the Catholics have kind of even uh, hijacked the word a little bit because they use it to, for their popes and for the bishops. But consecration literally means one who is set aside, one who is set apart to initiate into the order of bishops. If you join this ministry and you join this school, we're going to make sure you're initiated into the order of bishops. You're going to touch nations and God said I'm looking for the consecrated ones the ones that will say I'm not a part of the world anymore I'm looking for the ones that will fight and stand up those that will worship when others are sleeping those that will pray when others are partying he says I'm looking for to dedicate to a service or goal I said Lord why did you speak that word to me he said because I want you to raise up a consecrated generation the lifeguards and so I call you tonight to a new level of anointing. I call you. Psalms 4 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. That's the word consecrate. There it is again. For, for, and here's when I call to him. Jeremiah 1 verse 5. I've loved this verse. The night I got saved, this is the scripture I read in my cabin at youth camp. And the Lord told me this was my scripture. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. Consecrate! 
Remember, consecrate means set apart. It's the same word for sanctify. I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. This is the scripture I read before I went to sleep the night I got saved. Or rather, the night I accepted the call of God. Excuse me. So you've got to understand, could it be possible that in this room, in this group, are the ones that will change the world? I'm going to tell you, the ones that look very holy, you're not usually the ones that do it. I'm just, I threw that out. It's usually the ones everybody goes, no way. I love walking into churches where people see some of our students, they knew them from their past, and they go, really? Yahweh, and I go, Yahweh. <laughs> That's fun. And so you got to understand. Look what John 17 said. Jesus talked about consecration. Now watch, because I'm going somewhere. Now I'm returning to you. I'm saying these things in the world's hearing, so may my people can experience my joy completed in them. I gave them your word. The godless world hated them because of it, because they didn't join the world's ways. Just as I didn't join the world's ways, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you guard them from the evil one. It's Jesus praying. They are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. Make them holy. Consecrate. With the truth. Your word is consecrating truth. I love the message Bible. In the same way that, that, that you gave me a mission in the world, I gave them a mission in the world. I'm consecrating myself for their sake. So there'll be truth consecrated in their mission. What do you mean, Pat? we got to be the lighthouse. I'm about to give you these seven things and I'm going to be done. Why are you preaching this tonight? That's what God told me to preach. In fact, he told me, is to take your whistle out. Because some of your ears have never opened to the screams of the lost. <whistles> Is there anybody alive out there that needs to be rescued? Some of you have never heard what I'm talking about. You will by the end of the service. Because it's going to overwhelm you. But God says, I'm looking for lighthouses. It's Ephesians 5, verse 13. It says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is the light that makes everything visible. This is why it said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Where are the lighthouses? The statistics are overwhelming. 700% agnosticism has grown. This is, this, this is two years old. Atheism in the last two years has grown 220%. Buddhism, 75%. Muslims, 33%. Jehovah Witness. By the way, all, all this is cult stuff. Except for your atheism, Pat. They don't believe anything. That's a religion. To say I don't believe anything is you're believing something. That's a religion. Trust me, I've already had these talks on planes. Jehovah Witness, 16%. Hindu, they've kept it kind of even, even. It's the oldest religion in the world. I mean, we just, they're not, yeah, they're just kind of there. Christians, we're down almost 5%. Where's the lighthouses? It's 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His son purifies us from all sin. Where's the light? Where's the freedom? Where's the glory? Well, Pat, What's your number? How many of you led to the Lord? I don't know. I won't know until I get to heaven. And those numbers, that's what Pastor Bunky told me. Numbers don't count until we get to heaven. 
because you can fall away. So what's my number? Like that video clip? I don't know, but I can tell you pretty good the number of those I've lost that I know was about five. One committed suicide when I was a youth pastor. Another got killed in a car accident when his life wasn't right. I, can t- I can't tell you how many I've le- rescued, but I, I can tell you how many I've lost. That I know of probably five or ten if I went through it and began to think about it. So I just got to give this to you, and I'm just going to wrap this up, and I'm just going to say these seven things, and I'm done. And, and you can choose to do what you want with this thing. And if you, if you say, Pat, I want to come and be a part of Forerunners, come on. Come on. They can talk to you about all the academic stuff and all that kind of stuff because it's incredible, school or mission, all that kind of stuff. But I, that's not my specialty, but I can tell you what I can talk to you about. I can talk to you about altar calls. So let me give you seven rules for being a lifeguard, and I'll close. Number one, always keep watch while on duty. Reminded of the city of New Orleans in 1985. They had an entire summer at over 200 schools, or excuse me, 200 swimming pools in the city. 100 swimming pools in the city, that's what it is. They went the whole summer without anybody drowning. They couldn't believe it. They They did not have records far enough back where they didn't have a summer where somebody didn't drown. I read it today in the New York Times. Pulled it up on the internet because I wanted to make sure I was telling the story correct. I had heard it. So the end of the summer comes. They decide to have a party. They decide to celebrate. For the first time in years. So they have this big pool party. They assign four lifeguards to just kind of watch the pool. But 200 lifeguards get in the pool and they're having this massive party. They were celebrating. No one had drowned all summer in the city of New Orleans. As the party came to a close, they they started getting out of the pool. And somebody noticed in the bottom of the pool was a fully dressed man named Jerome Moody. Somehow during the party, he had slipped and fallen. The lifeguards were having so much fun. They didn't realize people were drowning. Sounds to me like a pastor's conference. Celebrate how big our pools are. Patting each other on the back. The whole time there's death at our feet. Nobody knew. you feel the call of God on your life and you try to run from it, Romans eleven twenty nine says God's gifts and God's calling are irrevocable. I want to go ahead and give you a hint right now. You'll be miserable the rest of your life. Please don't come to me 15 years from now at a youth convention because I'll be preaching them. I'm 43. I'll be preaching them until I'm 80 or 90 and say, Pat, I should have answered the call that night. I'm miserable. And by the way, if you're called and you try to run from it, you'll be bored. If you're not called and try to be called, you'll go mad. It's weird. 
1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 says this. Though I am free, I belong to no man. I make myself a slave to everyone. That I might win as many as possible. That's who we are. Psalms 25, verse 20. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take my refuge in you. So number one, stay on duty. Number two, and I'm hurrying. Rescue those who can't rescue themselves. Psalms 82, verse 3. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. That's what we're called to do. Now, number three. I'm just giving you seven and I'm done. If you pass these seven, we'll let you join the life's, the Holy Spirit life savings phase. Listen for the cries of the drought. Trust me, you can hear it over the party. You can hear it. It'll be jarbled. But it's the sound when everyone's having fun at the pool. But someone popping up going, Gotta hear the cries, the drowning. So if you want to go into ministry to hear the sound of the of the fun stuff. Psalms 31, verse 2. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly, quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of self-refuge, a strong fortress to save me. One of my favorite things to study, and I studied it today, is the U.S. Life Saving Service. The U.S. Life Saving Service existed up until 1907 at the beginning of the Coast Guard. It was the pre-Coast Guard. In fact, if you go to the Coast Guard's website, they'll say the U.S. Life Saving Service was what they were before they became the Coast Guard. And they existed because up and down what's called the eastern seaboard from Cape Cod to South Carolina, Georgia. It's called the graveyard of the ships because of hurricanes and storms and because of rocks. They created the U.S. Life Saving Service. Every nine miles on the coast, they put up these little white shacks that 10 men would live in year-round. It became a breeding ground for heroes. They witnessed hundreds of shipwrecks. They had stations set up, excuse me, every seven miles. And they'd stay awake at night. And because it was before radios and all that kind of stuff, the only way they knew somebody was drowning is somebody would sit up at night in a chair and listen for screams coming off the ocean in the middle of the hurricanes in the middle of the storms in fact in a book about the rescuers there was a storm called the worst storm of the 19th century so it was in the 1800s one single saving crewman jumped into the ocean to save people going down in a sinking ship he battled through the waves and Brought one after the other back to safety. And by the time this one lifeguard collapsed onto the sand, exhausted, he had saved ten people. While one of those stations were being toured a few years ago, they were talking about the U.S. Life Saving Service. One fell in the crowd there on vacation with his family. Raised his hand 
said, excuse me, sir. What would make men go out into the night and rescue perfect strangers when many of them would not return? Many would lose their lives. And he pointed to the front door of the U.S. Life Saving Service. And there on the front door was a quote that was also in their manual, what's called the Blue Book, the Lifeguard Manual. And the quote was, we have to go out, but we don't have to come back. See, you got to understand what I came to tell you. You've, you've, you've got to realize what I'm trying to speak to you. Rescue begins when you hear the cries of the dying people. That's when rescue begins. Then I'm almost done. Can I say something to you, please? Don't rescue them if you're just going to drown them. What do you mean, Pastor? Please don't, don't, don't rescue them if you're, if you're going to drown them. And First Timothy 1, verse 19, it says, holding on to faith and good conscience, for some have rejected and some have suffered shipwreck with regard to faith. Breathe life into them. You're called to resuscitate. You're not rescuing people to make them what you never became. Say that again. I don't get people to say, I don't get people saved to, to make them what I've never become. That means I'm supposed to be at a certain level. In Matthew 23, 15, Woe to you, teachers of law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to win, to, sing, to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. The Bible says, Jesus, you know, he always just, he, he always buttered up what he had to say. He said, hey, Pharisees, you're pulling people into your flock to make them worse than you. So don't rescue them if you're... You gotta let them drown, or you're going to drown them. That's why Hebrews 10:24 says, "Let us push each other." That's what Forerunner School is about. It's about pushing each other. It's a fraternity. Over five or six or seven hundred. And number five, I'm about to close. Always be willing to point them to safety. In First Timothy 2:3, it says, "This is good, pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth." Psalms 107, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. If the disciples had read Psalms, they would know this scripture, and they wouldn't have worried about drowning. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to the desired haven. Why didn't one of the disciples stand up and say, hey, bro, I was just reading Psalms yesterday? Look what it says. Because they were into Jesus, but they weren't really into the call. They were into the miracles, but they weren't really in going deep. They hadn't learned how to study the Bible yet. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, they were ignorant and unlearned. Yet, there was one thing that marked them. They had been with Jesus. I don't give a rip. I've had people in our school that, let me tell you about Graham Wilkerson. Graham died when he was a baby at six months old. His father's Rich Wilkerson. His brother's Richie Wilkerson. Graham came to our school. Graham has the mind of about a 12-year-old, maybe less on some days. When he texts me, I have to literally figure out what he's saying to me. 
but we helped him pass his test. We helped him get credentials. Because Graham, he's got his albums coming out, his own rap album. You need to listen to it, it'll be fun. Because here's what you gotta understand. You're not called to be in sales. You're called to be an advertisement. God says, show them there's a better way. Show them that I can heal their scars. I'm about to close. You know there's a reward for your service. Some of you, we're going to walk into heaven. And I'm going to stand behind you. I'm going to stand in the back of the room. Because I spent my life in the front of the room. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stand in the back of the room. And I'm going to watch those that are part of the fraternity. It's tens of thousands walk up to me. And they're going to look over the shoulder at me, Adam O'Bannon. And as they come up to the tree, they're going to call and wrap their arms around me. And stand back. There's a reward. Look at the word it says right here. Bring that scripture for you. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him. As you have helped his people and continue to help. In fact, the Bible even says about the reward in James chapter 1, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, I want to stand behind Shannon's sack. he's discipled more people than Christ. Yeah. He'll receive the kind of life that God has promised to those who love him and want better for him. This is a big one. Number seven. Never lose the value of somebody else's life. That's when you got to leave the ministry. Jesus said the kingdom of Heaven is in you. It's in you. John declared it. Made everybody mad. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus said, hey, it's not only at hand, it's in you. John said, I'm coming to prepare the way. The kingdom of heaven is here. And then Jesus walked up and went, it's not only here, it's in you. You are the kingdom. You are heaven on earth. You're a temple, not a shack. And in Luke chapter 17, or excuse me, John chapter 15, Greater love is no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Gosh, if you never forget the value of one soul, will you join the ranks of the soul lifeguard? two weeks ago. I'm, I'm getting ready to speak. L look what it says in Luke 17. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. That makes no sense, does it? Jesus, what do you mean? If you try to hang on to your past, it will destroy you. But if you give everything up, you'll have eternal life. That's what it's saying. That's just one of the definitions. 
you don't care. I don't care how many mistakes you've made. I don't care how bad you've screwed up. I don't care. Because I like the people. You should never be given. Nate's the one that called me and said, Dad, Adam needs to be with you. All it said was, Don't you worry. I would have loved you. I, I was in Singapore three weeks ago, as I've told you, and I was getting ready to speak at this youth conference on a Friday morning. Gosh, I was tired. It's morning there, it's night here. And I'm getting ready. I think I had already done one session. Quentin can answer to whether. Had I done one session, Quentin? And you saw me turn around and run and hug somebody. Remember that? A very, very dark-skinned man, Sri Lankan. ran up to him and I threw my arms around him I said oh my gosh I said Sean I didn't know you were going to be here see you don't know Sean he's a youth pastor in a country where he makes $50 a month but is leading a movement $50 a month you don't know Sean I know Sean because when the tsunami hit in 2005 125,000 people just from Sri Lanka, 250, 300,000 total, disappeared, never to be seen again. Fish food, gone. In fact, in Thailand and in China, they would not eat the fish for a year because they knew the fish had ate humans. They had to import all the fish. I didn't know that. Sean told me. Sean looked a little bit older since last time I saw him. He loves my son. When Nate preached there when he was 16, that's when I met Sean. But Sean gave me this purple tie. Now, guys, I don't wear ties, number one. I think they're demonic. But number two, I don't wear purple. It's not my color. But in my office, on my bookshelf, there's a purple tie. Why? Because the first time I met Sean, he pulled it off skinny Sri Lankan used to have wild hair now he looks more pastoral he pulled it off he said I'm supposed to give this to you and I said I didn't want to say I don't wear ties and I don't wear purple because you just don't do that you be gracious and I said well thank you he goes you don't understand I looked at it it was all stained stained all these white stains all over People have dropped water. I said, he said, do you want to know what's all over it? I said, well, I wasn't going to ask. And he goes, my tears. 
because that's the tie that I wore to 48 of my students funerals that were swept out the sea one after the other for four weeks I never left funerals and they were my kids that disappeared in a matter of seconds I want you to have it I said why are you giving me the tie that you wore to 48 funerals I need you to go I need you to go rescue a drowning generation I just saw Sean three weeks ago he's about to become the head pastor of a church of several thousand why did I preach this tonight services and 20 hours back or 12 this last week to Omaha our van is three years old and it has 250,000 miles on it something I think I've just made that number up but it's probably right how many miles has got Quentin over 200,000 yeah we replace tires every six months brought my whistle. You've seen this whistle used before, haven't you? Nick and Ashley, graduates of Portland High School. Romanda, where you at? Graduate of Portland High School. Came back for this weekend. Joshua Vest, where are you? Graduate of Portland High School. Who else is here that I missed? and Montana is a worship pastor and a youth pastor. What should we tell them to do from this point on, Drew? Should we tell them to get up? What do you think we should say? Tell them. Because you're anointed. Why don't you start the altar call for me? You got this, babe. Go. Is there anybody alive that needs to be rescued? It's time for us to choose. Whether we're just going to stand on the sidelines or we're going to dive in and start saving people. 
It's time for a generation to rise up. It's time for a group of people to finally choose to make a stand. It's time for a group of people to say no to the world and say, I'm going to set myself apart. I'm going to set myself apart. Whether that means... Whether that means saying no to my friends. Whether that means saying, I can't hang out with you right now because I got to go meet with God. It's your choice. You can either reject him. Dave Newman, I'll stand behind you in heaven. Well, you've raised up some great ones. Is there anybody in this room that I get to stand behind in heaven? Anybody called to change a generation? See, there's a reason why we didn't send cards out all over America. The reason why we didn't call the ramp. We'll be at the ramp speaking in June and ask them to join us. I said, I just want... At this one, remnant. Remnant. We have crazy miracles happen. Sitting at a table with a pastor. Two pastors, right? DJ and they both said, We'll pay your tuition. I'm going to blow the whistle, but I need to warn you. I want to warn you about two things. I need some of my, just some of my team to help me, not everybody. Only those that are about to graduate. Rachel, she's graduating. Come help me. Josh, come help me. Aubie, Quentin. Amanda, you can come help. Roberta. Because I need, I think some of our guys need to get rocks. That's what I need. Ariel, you're not supposed to come up tonight. You've been with me all over the world. I mean, you touched thousands of lives. God wants to do something through you and me. No, no, lay those aside right now. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Lay them out. Lay them out. It's not time for that. Jeremy, would you join me? Pastor Jeremy, Jamie, would you join me? Matt. Lord, I feel your presence. There's people drowning in here, and the best way to know you're drowning is you're screaming and nobody can hear it. We just want to get real. Every eye shut across this room except for the leaders. Lord, I feel your presence, God. I'm going to blow the whistle as a lifeguard. Come on, Madison, come help me. 
I'm going to blow the whistle. There's no way that I can get to every end of the pool. So I called some other lifeguards up to help me. If you've been drowning, please don't fight us. Because we're taught in lifeguard training, spin you around, drag you to the other side, and if we have to, hit you. I'm serious. No, we wouldn't do that. But, but in a spiritual sense, we will. Jeanette, I don't know why I keep feeling in my spirit. You've even recently asked the Lord, when's our breakthrough coming? Oh, he's hovering over your house right now, Jeanette. Pastor Jeanette. He's hovering over I'm going to blow the whistle one time. There's two calls I'm giving tonight, and everyone will respond to one of these calls. But if you say, Pat, I've been drowning, and my iniquities are over my head, and they're drowning me in my sin. The things are choking me. I've got stuff in my life. If you're drowning, remember, you're the only one that can hear your scream. But when I blow this whistle, if you say, I've been drowning, I need somebody to rescue me. I got some lifeguards on the perch. They're watching. Put your hands up like this, right this. Watch for them, lifeguards watching. The vast sea of humanity in this room. Souls that were created for greatness. When they were born, heaven began to shout and the devil began to plot. Let's stop them. Let's stop them from being great. Let's trip them up. Let's destroy them. But with every eye shut, if you've been drowning when I blow the whistle, would you raise your hand if you need somebody to rescue? If you say, I've got sin in my life and I need to get free. Maybe there's nobody in here like that. But if there is, I'm not going to miss a chance because I'm a lifeguard. I'm the captain of the lifeguards in this room. So I'm just going to blow the whistle one time when I blow it. You slip your hand up and we're going to rescue you. Because there's people in here that came in with junk in their life and you don't even feel worthy to be here. Welcome to most of my ministry. I felt that way. But when I blow the whistle, if you're drowning, raise one hand. If you have stuff in your life, you got to get out because somebody's going to rescue. And I need the lifeguards to run. You don't walk. We're taught to dive. You have to go out, but you don't have to come in. You don't have to come back. When I blow the whistle, if you've been drowning and you say, Pat, I'm so tired of feeling dirty. I'm tired of waking up feeling dirty and I'm ready for God to wash me white as snow. If that's you, I'm going to blow the whistle. You'll raise your hand. I don't know where you're at, but I know you're in here because I can hear the screams. I can hear the silent screams. I've heard it all day. <whistles> go get him. Please go get him. Please go get him. Please go get him. Go pull him up. Go pull him up. Pull him up. Pick him up. Pick him up. Pick him up. Grab him by the hand. Drag him up. Drag him to shore. Drag him to safety. My dad knew what he was doing with this whole whistle. Keep him facing us. Keep him facing us. Face this way.
did, did another hand go? Did we miss a hand? And those of you that are up here, if you physically can, get on your knees right now. Drop to your knees. If you can, if you can't, don't worry about it. one hand in the air if you've been drowning and you're up front and scream Jesus save me that's all I want you to do you ready raise one hand up and say save me I can't hear you what when you're drowning you got to scream oh I feel your glory Now those that are around them, begin to resuscitate them now. Begin to pray over them. Begin to pray over them. Get around them. Get over We're missing somebody right here. I need somebody right here. He's been here by himself. Rescue him. Come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there's some of you that can resuscitate. Won't you save me? Lead them. Get in their ear and lead them. Lead them. Come on. Come on, lifeguards. Lead them. Tell them what they've got to do to be saved. What? must I do to be saved? Make them pray after you. Do it now. Go, leaders. Is there anybody alive out there that needs to be rescued? What must I do to be saved? Tired of screaming and no one hears my cries. Tonight, I see the hand in the dark pulling me out of my, pulling me out of my darkness. I can't breathe again. Lift your hands if you're up front. I can't breathe again. He said to the disciples in John chapter 20, and he breathed upon them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. And that's the moment that they got saved. Everyone lift your hands and say, God, all across the room, from the front to the back, say, God, I need to breathe. I need to breathe. When I breathe you in, say it. When I breathe you in, I'm breathing the enemy out. A new life. A new breath. When I breathe in, I want you to fill my lungs with your glory and your spirit. Tonight, I renounce the old. I invite the Savior, the lifeguard, sit in the chair of my life. Jesus. Breathe on me. Get ready. When I tell you to, I want you to take a deep breath in. You're going to feel the Holy Ghost fill your lungs. I don't care how dirty you felt your whole life. It's the matrix moment. It's a matrix. It is a conglomeration of numbers that restore what was broken. It's literally what it means. So Colossians says, he nailed my sin to the tree. So you're going to breathe him in like the disciples did. They breathed in the Holy Spirit. That's where the disciples got saved was John 20. And so when you breathe in, you're going to feel the Holy Spirit explode. You're going to feel sin run out of your life. Say, Jesus, I'm tired 
of drowning. I'm ready to breathe again. It's just like a child when they pull it out. The first thing they do is they say, okay. They knock it. They knock it. They go, breathe. And that child, and he screams. And they go, he's okay. She's okay. Ready? When I blow the whistle, I want you to breathe in as deep as you can and lift your hands and breathe out. And the breath of God is coming into you now. I'm not being weird. I can breathe again. Oh, the wind of the Spirit is in me. The pneuma has come inside me. I can breathe again. Welcome to the shore. Now everyone else look at me. I'm going to blow this whistle, and if you're willing to join the U.S. Holy Spirit life-saving service, you're going to stand up. But I need to warn you, because the minute you stand up, you're going to hear the cries of the lost. Welcome to my world, and welcome to my pain. Welcome to her pain, right, baby? Welcome to the reason why I've flown two million miles. I said, God, this Friday night, I told Quentin, Pastor Quentin, I said, I only want, I only want, I, I haven't been, Saying advertise, advertise, have I? I said, no. I only want the ones that want to touch the world. I'm done with the mass. Remnant. The 120 in the upper room. But there was 500 that heard him preach it, right? 380 chose the cross of grace, which is awesome. But 120 of the 500 said, we love the cross of grace, but we want the room of fire. I want room. I want remnant. The ones that will go one step further. I'm going to blow the whistle. And if you're willing to join the Spirit life-saving service, I need to warn you. When you stand up, you might hear the screams or you might feel the weight of a generation. You might shut your eyes at night and see the lost. I don't know. The Bible promises visions and dreams, so I don't know. My wife has prophetic dreams all the time, so I don't know what will happen with you. Hold on, Drew. When I blow the whistle, if you're willing to join the Holy Spirit life-saving service, you're going to stand up. If you're not, you don't have to. I won't embarrass you. It will not embarrass me. And I'm not talking to teenagers. I'm talking to everyone in this room. I'm talking from the soundboard, Joseph, to the front board. If you're willing to join the Spirit-led mantle of the high call of God, You're going to do the seven things. What are the seven things, Joseph? Give me all seven. Give me just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, real quick. If you can, I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can. It doesn't matter. Are they on the back of that? Are they on the back of that? Let me have that. What are they? What are they? Let me just see. Always keep watch. Rescue those who can't rescue themselves. Listen for the cries of the drowning. Don't rescue them if you're going to leave them. Always be willing to point them to safety. There's a reward for your service. Never lose the value of someone else's life. Those are the seven things. If you're willing to join me.
to change a generation. Does that mean you gotta, we got to come to your school? No. Do not come to my school unless you're called because you'll hate it. I don't know if I'm called. God will drive you crazy. And if God doesn't, I'll be will. But if you're willing to leave the crowd, and you only have one worry, what was it you said, Karen? At the end of I Am Remnant, you only have one fear. The time will not permit me to do all he's called me to do. That's my fear. When I blow the whistle, if you're willing to join, just stand up. But I'm warning you, you're going to hear the screams of the lost, and you're going to feel the weight. You will feel the weight of the lost. You'll feel the weight of loved ones that you've lost a burden for. I'm warning you.